cliffcentral.com. All right, it is Thursday morning, which means the burning platform. And this is what we do on a, on a burning platform Thursdays. We decide what we're going to um, make sense of when it comes to all the big stories in the news. We try to talk to the people who are at the center of those news stories. We try to talk to people who are connected to all the ways that we can analyze these stories and make uh, the world a little bit more understood. And Pumi is going to start us off this morning before we get to Neil DeBeer and introduce him to you. It won't be the first time that he's been on the show, but Pumi's got some interesting updates for us around by-elections. I'm not even sure where these are. She'll tell us in a second. There was but one. These are always, it's always a good, well, that's one is enough, uh, a good indication of what could and might happen in the whole election, the big election, which mm. is happening, of course, time between now and June the president's going to make an announcement. But Pumi, what do you got for us? So by-elections, you know, by-elections are important because they, they're the only gauge that we have right now of how things are shaking up in terms of what people are voting, how people are voting and how they are showing up for at the um, election stations. So yesterday there was a by-election in northern KZN, in Freyhead, um, Ward 8 in the district is called Abakulusi, and this is the first by election that had MK on the ballot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. Sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, first by election with the MK on the ballot, and the IFP has retained, they they were the incumbent and they've retained the seat with 47% right. of the vote. The ANC got 31% of the vote. Both of those have, have gone up. The IFP has gone up by 13%. The ANC has gone up by 15%. And in third place, screeching in in third place with 19% of the vote is MK. Hmm. Wow. And then the EFF in fourth place with 1% of the vote. So they lost ground. They lost 4%. Um, although, I must say, here's the caveat, that the DA and the FF did not participate in this by-election. And it's important to know that Fryhead is, is, a, is a somewhat diverse um, area. So it's not... It's, it's not predominantly black or predominantly white. It's in KZN. It's in the northern KZN. But that's there you have it, friends. There you have it. So what, do you, what do you pull out of this? What do you think of this? So that the MK is going to be a factor in KZN. It is going mm. to be a factor in KZN. It's interesting to me that um, the DA and the FF didn't, weren't on the ballot. The DA previously had 32% of the vote. Mm. And maybe those voters went to the IFP because the IFP gained 13%. And, but that 19% is not a small percentage, not a small no, percentage not a to look at. But I wonder if you were a, let's say you were a Freedom Front or a DA voter and they weren't on the ballot, um, which they weren't this you, time, who would, who would you go for? Um. You know, in KZN, in a lot of areas in the KZN, um, particularly in the north, the DA has a coalition agreement in some of those places with the IFP. So maybe people voted for the IFP. Um, but I think more than likely, the staunch ones didn't go vote. Uh-huh. 
Okay, well, that's an interesting place to start because people are looking for indicators. They're looking for ways that they could predict what's going to happen as we head towards the elections. But one person who is full of passion and has plenty to say about what's going on in the political environment at the moment is the United Independent Movement's leader, founded uh, the party uh, back in... When, when was it that you founded this, Neil? Um, I can't even remember now. When did the UIM start? How are you? Good morning, Mulvaney. Uh, Morning. 2021, Gareth. That's, I think, you right. were the second radio, the second radio platform or podcast platform that interviewed us. So that's right. That's right. Well, it's right, good yeah. to see you. Back. Thank you. And uh, how, how's it going for the the United Independent Movement? How are you guys doing, Gareth? I don't know. Every day we wake up and we say to each other, uh, "What are the chances?" And then we went to the local elections. I raised my voice and we got three metros. We got a councillor in Cape Town, a councillor in Joburg and Etiquini. And uh, you know, we only have 42 days to make a decision. And uh, we've grown, we've grown dramatically. We are now a voice. And obviously recently we joined the multi-party charter and we play a very critical role within steering that. But um, I think my style of politics of just telling you how it is, abruptly and keeping to the truth has kind of lashed a lot of people seeing about what politics actually I think Gareth should be. It shouldn't be about anything else except telling the truth and just getting to the bare knuckles. So yeah, I've, I've All right, well, let's, let's, let's get to the truth because your, your party is small and you are contesting a lot of different parts of South Africa and each of those require a huge amount of funding. Uh, do you have enough money? And do you have enough support to contest in these many places that you want to run? I don't think any political party can ever have enough money. It's like walking into a steak restaurant and saying, hey, do you have enough onion rings? I mean, we always want more. I mean, this is sure. just what you want. Um, we have enough. I'm a realist. I, I was a businessman prior to coming to politics. So I understand, you know, except for the Minister of Finance, I can count. And a person gets a little bit realistic. So we have enough money to contest. We have enough people to look at where we want to be. And, and I always say, Gareth, if you are realistic, you can dream. But there comes a time of realism. And yeah, we have enough. We have enough uh, financial backing to do what we want to do. And someone said to me, what is your role in the multi-party charter to get 50 plus one? And I said, very good morning. My name is Neil De Beer, and I am plus one. Hmm. <laughs> so, all right. Well, you, you got to start somewhere. So, what's your realistic Good. number? What's your realistic number? Last week we had Gaten here, and he said his realistic number is twelve percent. What's your realistic number in terms of the the voters? What do you think you can pull? You have to have a guy like Gaten. I mean, that says Alfred um, West is Dubai. Um, I think if we really push for, if we really push for it. I think two or three national seats minimum. And we're looking at about two uh, provinces where we would get a MPL. Uh, and I think in the total sum, 1.25, 1.8%. I think mm. that's where we'll be. Mm. Neil. Uh, let, me, let, me just, let me just read these results to us of this by-election. Yeah. And it seems that some of these parties aren't even taking part in, you know, wards like Freyate, for example. So... What, what are the places that you are not interested in contesting and where do you think your best chances are? Because 
if you're a small party, you have to be tactical about where you go and where you're likely to score. And I mean, I even saw this comment. There's a lot of questions in one, Neil, but I think you can handle it. Xavier says, uh, or Xavier, whatever, how you, you pronounce it, Xavier says, why wouldn't I just vote for the Freedom Front or the ACDP rather than the UIM? Aren't your values just the same? No, definitely not. Uh, firstly, Gareth, I'm not a politician. I come from an intelligence background within government, uh, as you know, and I also come from a global business understanding. Um, I think the people must understand that you have a voice. People are screaming, why so many parties? Gareth, we're going into an absolute different era of politics in this country. You yeah. must remember we've had an era of political dominance by the National Party and undoubtedly an era of dominance in the past 30 years of an ANC party. There really mm -hmm. hasn't been true democracy in this country. I always mm -hmm. say the ANC got uh, democracy by surprise. I mean, when we went to Codesa, we had to buy suits for certain people. So, you know, we, we're coming from this point of, may I say, kind of cult understandings of politics that no matter if you don't care about the manifesto, you bloody go vote for them because there's the T-shirt that kept the streetwise to the 500 milliliter Coca-Cola in a bus that takes you to vote. I always tell people the ANC does not do politics. Where am I? They are not listening to me. I was 32 years in the ANC. The ANC in election time does not do politics. They do logistics. So when you look at a small a party like us, we have a say in the new era of coalition politics. Why would you vote for the UIM and not the ACDP or the DA? But just very hard for the over last time. You just had enough. He's been yapping for 30 years. He's not kept the main man at bay. The hyenas has been chowing at the Springbok carcass, and the oppositions have just been flinging points of order. You've got a person here that knows the ANC incredibly well, does not believe that this is the ANC of my time, and that has decided to stand up. And I know my voice is heard. With a multi-party charter, Gareth, a smaller party that's in the MPC, at the end of the day, when we take 50 plus one, then you are going to look at part of the government. So it actually doesn't matter. Choose a party that has drawn the line, how significant it's become. Plain and simply, you now choose a leader in the MPC, not in specifically the party. Because if we win, when we win, 50 plus one, you can then say, but I want Neil De Beer as a person that speaks to me. But they fight the other And then you go to that thing. And then we'll combine. Remember, the law says we've got 14 days after the IEC says this was a free and fair election to then put a cabinet down. And we've started that. Mm, All right. Neil, you're the first person that we get to speak to who comes from the ANC and an MK background. I would very much love to know what your view is with the MK breakaway and with... Jacob Zuma and what he is saying and doing. Yeah. There's no doubt. I, th I think the combination of a charismatic man like Umshalozi now combining to something, and this is very important for people to hear, and I am open for debate with any of these leaders that so-called come from the liberation struggle. 
the uncapping, may I say, Gareth, may I say the uncapping of the pressure cooker of members that are from Mkonte Wesizwe, but now the real one, eh? not the one that's 23 years old and still says he's a military veteran, but the real one, you know, the real one, the one that didn't get his um, <coughs> the one, sorry, the ones, you know, that are walking around and that are, oh, sorry, and, and from my point of view, there has been no one in this country that got up and said, but the liberation fighters must be taken care of. They did not. So I'm telling you, the day and the minute that they split the MK veterans, because you know there were two factions, there was the Cyril choice, and then there was the other choice. MK suddenly has got a leader that is saying, why don't we form a political party as the previous military wing of the liberation struggle, we take this into a political scenario, we contest. And what you've got now is a groundswell of the actual liberators that were never recognized. They are going to cause tantamount torpedo shots at the bow of this ruling party. And I'm telling you, if if Suki Saro Ramaphosa, Suki Matosukum, if he does not call this election within the first two months between 1 May and 31 August, MK is going to go to 10, 15 percent. Oh, wow. So you're, so you're saying a big, a big impact. And Jacob, and Jacob Zuma himself, I mean, we know he has massive support in KwaZulu-Natal, but across the rest of the country, do you think he'll have an impact there as well? He's going to fire four bow shots. One of them is going to be unconditionally KZN, where he is the strongest. Mm -hmm. He's going to go in there, and he has, and then he's going to attack Gauteng on a strategy. He's going to go into Mapumalanga, and his last drop-off zone is Limpopo. He's got good buddies there. Hmm. Interesting. So, I think that's so being a strategist, he's going to go one. Obviously, there is a little bit, Gareth, of an inclination to also go to the, can I call it traditional clan, traditional uh, uh, background from where he comes from. So one cannot mm. dispute that the big battle in actual fact is going to be the IFP with Slavisa running it and leading it uh, at the moment, uh, Honorable Slavisa, and obviously JC. There's going to be a big contestation. I don't even think the ANC is going to bat one wing to be relevant. I think that's where the battle is going to be. Sure. Okay. Now, what what happens what happens in in opposition politics in places like Gauteng and the Western Cape? Because we can. We can moan and whine and gnash our teeth about rural areas. And as much as Pumi's by-election result may indicate all kinds of changes on the playing field, I think it is relevant. We really are a nation of two kinds of voters. There are urban voters and there are rural voters. Sure. And I think the urban vote is probably much more interesting to the people who listen to this show. And it's more interesting to people who are worried about the economy, people who are worried about service delivery, because those things that they fall apart in metros are massive, massive problems. When a, a small little town in rural Northern Cape or KwaZulu-Natal starts having trouble with its service delivery, um, so, so many uh, people are affected, but fewer people are affected than in, in the big metros. So government has a larger cost problem for the average voter if it doesn't go 
right in these metros. So what do you think of the urban environment and who do you think is going to be the beneficiary of urban votes and, and the change in voting patterns that's been happening over the last 10 years in urban environments in South Africa? Gareth, I, I said to a group of uh, businessmen yesterday when they said to me, unpack what is the next 90 days. What is what is the strategy where the metros are looking like so and the metros are looking so. Oh. I think what we have to realize, one, they are going to be probably four times the amount of parties contesting this national provincial election than before. Secondly, you're going to have a wider spectrum of choice. I don't know if you've noticed, Pusey, but I think you have. There's been a revival on certain, may I say, cultural aspects of nations, the so-called colored brown nation. I find a massive revolution of that background coming into specifically the Western Cape. And that's why people like the Gated Mackenzies, the people like the NCCs are now flogging that. I say the poor voters currently in the in the traditional metro areas, they are sardine ball. The sharks, the stingrays, the dolphins, and the barracudas, we are all coming in, but we're stealing from the same pool. So within the urban area, without a doubt, I think the ANC has put a non-negotiable target on, on Gauteng, definitely mm -hmm. the Western Cape, and there's going to be a battleground now to look at also KZN where they can dip in. So I'm telling you, the UIM are not contesting very clearly all provinces in this country. We are also targeted focused. Nationally, right. we will be on the ballot, obviously, because we have a huge national reach. But for example, we've only chosen the centers that we are comfortable with. Which are Western those? Cape, Western Cape, Eastern Cape, KwaZulu-Natal, Free State, and Gauteng. And we are looking at this moment at broadening out. I'm just talking, Pumzi, about the provincial ballot. In other words, the provincial Yeah, ballot. yeah, yeah. So, As I said, we choose our shots. We, we definitely are focusing, and I think more of us are going to see that the metro contestation, very interesting what you said, that the DA and the Freedom Front did not even partake in that by-election. The reason why is they choose their shots. Neil, you, you're talking about choosing shots and you're talking about eating from the same pool. And the, the numbers now that the IEC has, has called, that they're 27, I think 27 million yeah. on the voters' yeah. roll. Why not go for a new voter? There's a lot of talk about the young vote. There's a lot of talk about where they sit. And when I have my marketing hat on, it's much easier to get a new customer than to try and change an old customer, to change somebody who's already got a brand that they believe in. Why are you eating from that pool and not going for new voters? For me again, you hit it nail on the head. I am telling the people in this country that the people that were voted, the people that voted for the ANC, voted for the DA, etc., you will very rarely be able to wing them away. Yeah, you will be a small percentage. The key to the change of this country can only be done if the unvoted, if the past people that were not interested in the restaurant the menu, the appetite, if they are not going to come in. I'm telling you, the X factor for all of us are exactly those people for me that you just said. It's the unvoted 
non-voted or previously not interested. That's our big hope. And if they come in, if even 5 million of them decide that this is more important than 1994, because 94 we voted to change a country, 2024 we're voting to save a country. <laughs> they That's weren't even lies. allowed. So, they weren't alive in 94. But what are you telling yeah. them? Why must they come to you? I'm telling them very clearly that the voice of the youth, may I say the youth, is an uncapped mm. market. No one's talking to the youth. No one's coming to them. You know, I stood in that now called Briar, a groundbreaking speech last week, Thursday. And I got up there in front of the MPC and I said to them, the people that we have lost because of the utter rubbish, the utter non-performance, the absolute denigration of the word politics are the youth. They are not interested because we are not speaking to their palate. I am, in my way, speaking, and I've had huge success at the levels of the youth to make them bubble, to make them excited, and to tell them, this is your future. This is not mine. I am the Neil. custodian of you. So I'm going right. in there with everything we've got. I, I want to just move on to some issues because there's stuff that we could talk about with you that we, we wouldn't really talk about with uh, with everybody. And, and there's certain interests uh, that you have, certain things that you think your constituency may be more interested in, and, and, and subjects which may interest many South Africans who listen to this show. So let's just talk about law and order because it's a big part of what you stand for. What is wrong at the moment? How would you fix it? You know, Gareth, you don't um, kill a tree by chopping out a branch. You kill a tree by removing the roots. Yeah. Law and order where I come from is exactly bloody that, but it is also based on three other things. Zero tolerance, but if you come down the road, Gareth, you focus on what we call the B crime. If you stop the B crime, you immediately annihilate the A crime. But to get the A and B right, you need to know the alphabet. Becky Tele. So the problem that we've got is that we are not done here. I mean, this man is a person which is a horror. I mean, he's more capitulating. I will insult this man every 15 seconds I've got. Because this man is like a pop-up window. He pops up at every crime, but he's got no philosophy of opening his own bloody IQ window. I would Weimann. Because the problem we've got is, is, Gareth, go with me. A man that walks on the street that's drunk, not all, but you will find the B-crime guy that is under the influence at the end of the day might stab someone that becomes an A-crime. So remove the guy that's under the influence of alcohol. That's crime. This is, the, uh, this, this is the Giuliani broken broken windows sure. uh, situation. So I hear you, but, sure. but we, have, we have massive levels of endemic corruption. These roots that you talk about in the tree that you use as a metaphor, these roots go deep. And, you know, they're in business, they're in the army, they're in cadre deployment, they're in tenders. Uh, and, and frankly, I think a lot of South Africans have just thrown their hands up and they've given up because... To take this thing on, you have to take your life in your hands. I mean, there are lots of people who will try to kill you if you do what you say you're going sure. to do. <laughs> yeah, they're trying hard, but you know, 
if you if you come from where I come from, death is inevitable. Life is superb. Gareth, I know you. I've watched you. I, you know, I've I've seen you from so many angles. And I always said, the people that get murdered the loudest is the people that scream the loudest. But when you scream, scream with a little bit of substance. How many times have you been banned, ostracized? Because you come in and then you hit that nerve. Now this country is at that precipice where last night, eleven o'clock at night, for example. A group of people decided to burn down structures near Carltonville because mm -hmm. a group of hooligans decided that they own the town. A police van is standing looking at the perpetrators burning a man's business down. This is the essence of this country where we've got to. If you mm -hmm. don't get what you want, you burn, maim, murder and shoot. And that has become a political narrative. And I'm sorry. If we are going to change this country, I'm going to, may I launch on this platform, may I, Boomsi, sorry, can I give you my manifesto right here, right I now? I was may going I? to ask you what your top three priorities are. No, it's two. Okay. Uzimbeni. Only two, not 624 pages of cuck. Because let me quickly tell you, people want <laughs> to drown you with rubbish and then they deliver nothing. Mine's very simple. It's two, Gareth. Jobs. Mm -hmm and justice that's it simple jobs and justice because in this country forget about you know the other narratives don't forget about it but but health and education critical but right now jobs and justice if we do not get the people of this country reemployed by reemploying them it will stimulate the economy it will drive foreign-based investment and it will give the people one thing that has been taken away by the apartheid government and this current government. It's called dignity. We've got to put the people back into jobs. It's as simple as that. How? And secondly, justice. So, so Pumi, I'll tell you how. Someone said to me yesterday, I said I will give the pensioner 4,950 rand, not 1,900. So the guy said, but Mr. President, how will you do it? I said, it's easy. Stop stealing. Stop stealing. Stop stealing the money. So that's part of justice. Gareth, how long have we sat with the Zondo Commission's 1,950 papers? Pumi, how long? Well, you asked that's Pumi because a... she's the one who's read it. <laughs> she's the only person in the country who's read it. Sure. How long? <laughs> oh, but this week I missed the first 100 days. John Cianazen had his... Um, press conference and i think they had a youtube live sure. i missed it this week um yeah. about his first hundred days in office and what they would do and then they're going to have their manifesto i think next week but next week i'll be caught up guys before you say i hate the da i'll be caught up next week this week i i, I have a, I have a bereavement to deal with but okay so talk about justice there's a charge sheet. I mean, it's as simple as that. I don't talk about the Zondo Commission's papers. I'm talking about a possible charge sheet. Of the people that have been named three years, 1.5 billion rand later, I am telling you, Pumzi, you should know, not even 2% of the people that were on public accusation of not just theft, bloody treason to this country, they've not been touched. Not Shab at all. Shabila Patoy is halfway through her term. 
You know that, Gareth. Last yeah, week, yeah. I think last week, oh Wednesday. Last week, Wednesday was exactly halfway through her term. But so you mean we still have we still have another half to go, Pumi? Is that what you're telling me? She she still oh has God. she still has a second half. Maybe she can still do some magic. But Gareth, sorry, just on the question and what you said, justice. Mm. On the systems of justice, we must absolutely start asking the question of Bastabu. You know, when I sat back and I looked at the Minister of <coughs> Police, I looked at the Minister of Justice and the Minister of Correctional Services, three of them sitting there and asking, where's Tabu? Where's Tabu, Minister? Then they would say, no, but we arrested them. You had them. No, but you know, you had, you put your, that's the problem that we've got. So in, in our scenario, we are going to cut cabinet and we are going to implode certain ministries. For example, the Minister of State Security, Police and Correctional Services, Gareth, will be one minister. One minister must take responsibility because if we're going to sit with the police, correctional services and justice, they can continually blame each other. If you have one that oversees arrest, condition of corrections, incarceration and justice, one man must take that position and one man must stand or one woman must account. That's it. You, I told Cyril, hey, Cyril, I mean, this is a man that went to go on a chopper to go fly around a bloody harbor to see how deep they're in the cock. He had to go see it from an elevated position. And he flew a chopper, which belongs to the Air Force, which I know here doesn't have fuel. So if if if, if Mozambique bloody attacks us tomorrow morning with a canoe, we bug it. I mean, we don't have a defense force anymore. Uh, so we've, right. got, we've got them right. up in the DRC. They're part of the peacekeeping mission. They've landed oh, and seen this. Only in Neil, and, and, uh, and, and sorry for me. For me, they just shot down one of our helicopters two days ago. All right. So I, I want to get to, because <laughs> it, it's, it's fine to pile on to the president and the ANC. It's become a national sport in this country. Sure. But Azalea says here, what have you guys done? Because like the EFF, you don't own or run or govern in any particular ward. You may be kingmakers in certain places. You may have influence here, there, and everywhere. What have you actually done as the United Independent Movement? How can you prove that you're not just hot air? I think if you go look what we've done in the Western Cape, for an example, we are one seat, Gareth, one seat in that council. I sit on nearly six or eight committees. Mm -hmm. The voice that you carry, my vice president, Fatima Abdul, who's in Johannesburg, no. one seat, but fights like 20. So what people must realize is you might not currently have the capability of four seats in vote, but when you bring a new dynamic, a fresh approach where you say politicians there, we the people here, we went in for the people. We are not trained politicians, businessmen and people that come from a social economic background. What has the UIM done? I'll tell you what we've done. We've changed the narrative for thousands and thousands of people in this country that if you remain in the bloody truth, you react when you are called on the ground, like tomorrow, I am now having to go up to Johannesburg to go to a community that's broken. One man, one woman, I'm telling you right now, Gareth, can make a change if that person truly believes that the people must govern. So you mentioned your, your you said deputy president, uh, Fatima? 
Yeah, right. So she's, she's in the comments. She's in the com- yeah, and she's she's busy this morning, and I think she's made an in- interesting and I think an excellent point. So Azalea says this sounds like angry white guy politics, and she replied immediately and said, "How about just an angry South African citizen? How much does race need to play a role? How much do you think it it already does, and how little should it in the ideal situation? Because unfortunately, this is how a lot of people think. It may not be how you and Fatima think." But it might be how other people think when they see you ranting and raving and, and saying the things that you say, many of the things that I suppose the, the majority of us in this country will agree with. They do see an angry white man. And this is like a label. This is like, you know, the angry black woman label, which I know Pumi's had to deal with a number of times when she just expresses a passionate opinion about something. Right, Pums? I mean, it's enough of that. How do you deal with this stuff, Neil? And how do we get past it, frankly? It's said. I mean, it's said that we're back to brown, to, to brown, black, Indian, and white. It, um, that's not what I fought for. Gareth, I will also, if I may, class you as one of those. That does not see color. I, I don't. <laughs> sorry, I don't. Yes, but you I'm, are. I, I'm, I'm, I'm drawn into it. I'm drawn into it. The reason yeah. 1988 I joined Mkonte Wesizwe as a white guy, as an Afrikaner, was I could not mm. understand the concept of color of your skin, but I could understand that your soul and your heart is red. I, I can't see it. But every day, Gareth, hear me what I'm saying. When we fought with Madiba and we did the so-called Rainbow Nation, it was never supposed to be about color. It was about unity. Agree mm. with me today. We have taken that rainbow and it's back at black and white. And I'll tell you who's at fault. It's the politicians. It's Julius Fricky Jenny Totmalema. This man drives the narrative. He drives it. Then you get Gaten. You get people that want the colored vote and the black vote and the white vote. The UIM don't want that. We want the South African vote. This is the reality. The narrative I've got to go face in Groblersdal, where the Boere and the and the EFF and the ANC are physically going to battle in a small town is absolutely race-based. And that's what makes me angry. I am angry because we're back there again. Neil, you know, I I want us to go back to the the MPC that you are now a member of and and the the reality of coalition politics – and, and how that works. When we look at what the numbers are, Ipsos had their poll come out this week and there's been quite a lot of hoo-ha about it and, and where they are pegging all of the numbers. And we've had lots of talk leading up even to the MPC with, with people within the DA saying that a workable coalition would be an agreement between the DA and the ANC <laughs> in terms of that, that that would be the best kind of workable government. And you are in an MPC that is essentially led by the DA. How do you feel about that kind of talk? For me, they don't lead me. I think by now you look in my nice, kind blue eyes. You're not going to tell me what to do. So my attitude is I have a role to play. Yes, the narrative must be done. The propaganda must go out there that John and the DA is the back and the big brother. But trust me, every two weeks when the MPC leaders sit, I say my say and I get what I want. 
So, so we've got to start looking at a different narrative. Coalition partnerships are, as is in this country, not the best form that has been put on the table because it in many cases failed. But coalition government is a reality and it must become a reality because if you look at the numbers, and now I'm telling you, Pumi, the only way that this, can I call it multi-party charter, can make government is if we, as that MPC, bring the numbers. That's it. Nothing else counts. I am telling you, the DA will be capped at an X amount, probably 25, 26%. The Freedom Front, X, the UIM, plus one. But what is important to us, and I'll go back to what you said for me, it is the people that have never voted before, that have never had that opportunity or that was disenfranchised, that will come in and have to make a decision. And I'm telling you, we have drawn the line. You are either for change or you are part of the people that do not want change. That's it. There's no more in the middle. And that's where we are. We started as six parties in the multi-party charter. We are now 11. And it matters not the size of that party. It matters of how you weigh that party in its added value and contribution of its leadership. And I'm telling you, in the multi-party charter, it's a miracle on its own that we have come where we've come. But I'm very clear, we are going to stick to our guns. We hope that today that president who is outgoing will announce the date of the vote. And I think I know when. And then we go to battle at the ballot box. If this country wants change, Gareth, they are the people that must put the change into a cross and in a box, not us. And I'll tell you, can I? Two people showed me this country can do it. And funny, those two were not politicians. One is the, called the Springbok team. And sorry, the other one is Drikas. And last night, at least Bafana gave them gas. It's not politicians that are going to, pardon me, got a bit of Julius in my throat. It is not going to be the politicians that will bloody change this country. It's the people of this country. In right. It can. will be wrong of us to not talk about um, what, you, what you are expecting to hear this evening at Sona and what you think Cyril should talk about going into Sona. <clears throat> for me, he's got to call it. I think he's got to call the date. If he calls that date, my opinion and analysis, you know, I always say, when you have a butchery and you're a butcher and you sell your butchery, you don't stop eating meat. Ne? <laughs> so when you leave the ANC, they don't stop talking to you. So what I'm saying, sorry, what I'm saying at the end of the day is, for me, the ANC cannot keep this country together long enough. I think you agree. They can't keep this thing going. Load shedding, MK, I think he's going to call it sooner than later. I say last week of, um, of May or the first two weeks of April. That's where we're going. He's going to declare it. Unfortunately, the date says 1 May to last day in August. That's the law. So we can't call it now. We can't call it now, February, March, April, for May. 
I'm telling you, last week of May, and then he's going to have to look at the first two weeks in June. That's it. I'm telling you, he's going to call it in the right, first so two June, weeks. not April. June. Sorry. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's where we're going to go on the calling of that election. You know, to Pumi's point, though, that's just about the the date for the election, and there are all kinds of people speculating about that. But what has he got to tell us? Because the State of the Nation address should be an opportunity for whoever is in charge to tell us about what they have achieved, to tell us how far we've come. These are the things the government can be proud of. I don't think that's a very long list. But he's also got, even though he may be, as you say, the outgoing president, he's still got to throw forward to what we may have coming up. To what the country can look to do you think he has any vision at all for what south africa could be because we certainly haven't heard it the last time we heard anything from him i made this joke earlier about how it was that airport city they were going to build out at lanceria i don't think anything's happened there but are there any other things that he could throw into the speech which would get your attention <clears throat> an apology <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to be Gareth, can I share some numbers with you? Has, this man has two words. For me, with, uh, Gareth, he's got two words. And I'm sorry. Every time that he says this, I look at myself and I say to myself, this is not a statesman, Gareth. He uses mm -hmm. the words projects and programs. Mm. Projects and programs. Mm. This is not what this country wants to know, Gareth. They want to know the projects and the programs that you've done in the past year. How many of them can you physically tick box? This is a man that opens a tap at a certain venue and calls that success. I'm sorry. He hasn't got it. He can't put it on the table. He can't sell it. And he doesn't have the checkbook. He doesn't have it. And that's it. So we are going to listen to us all now which so is not... going to be filled with a lot of garbage, a lot mm -hmm. of regurgitation, and someone's going to eat a nice sandwich tonight on my account. <laughs> I do. I, I, I would like to just remind people some numbers about where we come from with, and where we are with Cyril. Um, I think a lot of people have forgotten about all that COVID corruption. Do you remember all the money? that was stolen during yeah. COVID. Have we this is after Cyril stood in front of us in one of those family <laughs> meetings and said, it will not happen. There will be no stealing of money, Ooh. and yet there was. But and he had the pub, Pumi, Pumi. He had the pub sitting in one day, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember anything about those times. I don't remember the pub and the whatever. But, you know, we are now sitting at a place. When Cyril in 2019 became president, we had $166 billion uh, national debt, which has now ballooned to $298 billion. I don't know if he's going to talk about that. We've got unemployment that has gone up from 29.1% in 2019 to 31.9%. That's general unemployment. If you think about youth unemployment, that's gone up from 43% to 58%. This is in Cyril's five years. So if he comes up there and talks about a wasted nine years, I think there is a lot to answer for. From young Cyril. Can I, can I, sorry, Gareth, can I say something? Pooby, I don't know if you know it. 
I was part of South African rugby. <laughs> no, I don't. I was part of the management of the under-21 Springbok rugby team that won the World Cup in Argentina in 2005. I don't know if you mm -hmm. know. Oh, wow. No, no. I didn't. Yeah. We won that World Cup. We won that World Cup in 2005 because we believed in only three things. That that team, although being from every race, every religion, and every background, that that team would fight for each other. Number two, that we, the 36 young men, taking them overseas to represent a country, knew the responsibility that we had a country to fight for. And lastly, we knew that a victory for us would be a victory for a nation. For me, I'm not always cross, you know, I'm not always spewing. But when we were sitting on that stadium ready, Malvinas, to fight, there were better coaches always in the stadium. I'm not a better coach sitting and chastising Cyril, slapping the ANC. I was part of that for many years. This country must start looking at one thing, Gareth, I'm afraid that we've lost. And that is hope. We are an abused country. We've gone through so much looting, load shedding, the times of COVID, as Pumi said. What's left? What's really left? To say to the people, mistakes were made. We take responsibility. But I, as the president of this republic, I take accountability. I would have done that. Because by doing that, you are taking accountability for mistakes that were made. But at least you know the mistakes were made and you can fix it. And I don't think Cyril has it. I don't think the ANC has it. Then. That's what right, we need but, to but, do. But, but I, uh, Neil, I do want to go back to these numbers that Pumi's talking about. And, and Xavier in the comments has said, National debt, $450 billion, or 76,000 Rand a person. That means each citizen now owes 76,000 Rand, and we've got 32% unemployment. We can't pay those debts, and this government yeah. is just getting us more and more into trouble. One of the reasons, Pumi, you'll agree with me on this one, is that we have an enormous state. We have a massive bureaucracy, and people there get their increases regardless, year after year, because they're also unionized, and those unions are in bed with the government. So it's an easy thing to go into the uh, the meeting. You say to your brother or your sister, hey, listen, how about a 6 or 7% increase? They go, yeah, that sounds good. You come to an arrangement. All it does is cost the citizen more money. The average citizen in this country cannot possibly be stretched any further than we already are. What other numbers have you got, Pumi? Two. I've got numbers, baby. I've got numbers. Give me a second. Let me open this up. Neil, will We'll have Neil's comments on these things because I think this is what people are going to be talking about. You've just got to fuel price. Shall we talk about the fuel yeah. price? Do you remember what it was in 2019? We're currently sitting at 22 yeah. rand, I think. 22 rand a liter. We come from 16 rand. Sure. I mean, look at the rand dollar. There we go. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, rand dollar exchange. Rand dollar exchange, if you're thinking of going to the States. In 2019, it was at 14.44. Currently, I th think 18 something, 18.90 or something of that sort. This is... Mm. 
But Gareth, can I tell you what's interesting to me about our country? Just listen to this. There's one saving grace about us. There are many. South Africa is not classified as an oil tanker in its change, in its capability to change. We are a speedboat nation, Gareth. That's a classification. This country has the I don't understand. What do you mean what, by that? What, you mean? what, does that mean? what do you what mean by is? that? Speedboat. Yeah. I'm giving you umkhobol. Let me tell you. <laughs> we are not India, Pumi. We are not India. We are not a country that has got 1.3 billion people. For a country like China, a country like India, a country like the United States, etc. They are classed as a oil tanker uh, uh, country. In other words, to change the trajectory of that country with 1.3 billion people, it can only change at the speed of an oil tanker when an oil tanker turns. An oil tanker takes 18 kilometers to turn. We are not that. South Africa is a speedboat country. In other words, if we focus and if we then decide that a direction meets, must be changed, what I'm saying is we have the capability of turning an economy, turning the trajectory, turning the future of a country like South Africa quicker than what you can have a country that is a oil tanker. That's the analysis. All if, right, all right. If, if we get it right, our country with bar 60 million people facing a country that's 1.3 billion can effectively change the economy, get reemployment, make sure that our foreign direct investment is spoken to if everybody has the political will to do so. What, what, do you, what do you think are the things that we need to change to change the trajectory of the country, to get your jobs and justice right? What are the things we need to change? The first thing we need to do is we need to change from having red tape to red carpet to me. This country's attitude is based on red tape, not red carpet. So, Gareth said it. You cannot continually have a group of communists and unionists sitting at the Thule House trying to run a democratic capitalistic society. Do the people not realize that the African National Congress is a communistic organization with socialistic attitude and nationalization in the total uh, vision. Oil and water can go into one battle, but they will never mix. So number one, you've got to change your attitude. When we took the Israel-Palestine scenario, it was based on an international decision, and we took the worst economic decision a country can. I say that again. I'm not talking about your view of Israel-Palestine. I'm talking about the country's economy. A country mm. needs the economy. So the first thing I would do is I will review all our international trade contracts to become South Africa first. Why must I import chickens from Brazil? I mean, I'm not paying for, for a chicken. I'm paying for water. We can grow chickens and breed chickens here. So number one, South African economy first. Now, when I said that a week ago, someone said, ooh, Donald Trump. Huh? No, I'm not the SA Donald Trump. I'm not interested in building walls and draining the swamp. 
Do you know why? They stole the bloody bricks here to build the wall. Look, you've got a lot of uh, you got a lot of punchy little one-liners, Neil, and it's always entertaining to have you on the show. And and I think your Justice and Jobs, if if anyone has come up with a good line, it's that. I mean, I, I really think that speaks to a lot of South Africans. I hope you get some support. Um, I hope that you guys uh, manage to make an impact in the national elections and in the various provinces where you're contesting this. Who do you think your biggest opposition is? Who do you think you're most likely in people's minds to be compared to? And who do you think people would vote for if they don't vote for you? I think, Gareth, we, we, we are factually basing ourselves uh, to the, and I'm saying it, we are very much uh, aligned to attract the minorities, may I call it. Our vote mm -hmm. comes extensively from the minorities being the Indian community, the colored community and the white community, the, and specifically within the white community, the blue-collar worker, the person mm -hmm. that's on the ground. So, so factually, our statistics show that the minority groupings have based us for many reasons. We are making inroads, slowly and surely, in the other segments of the demographic, but I don't think I have anybody in this country with due respect that is my opposition. I think the biggest opposition I've got in this country is the apathy and the attitude of others. So uh, clearly, I don't knock other leaders because they're doing well themselves. Sure. All right. Well, I mean, listen, there's a lot to chew on here. I think you've given us plenty to think about this morning. And I, as I said, I wish you luck. I wish all the parties luck. I, I hope that more South Africans turn out for this election than have for any of the other elections. And as you say, we need... We need a strong mandate, right? We need people to come out there and say, this is what we want, and to give their leaders a strong mandate so the leaders don't have any wiggle room, so they don't have to mess around on the outside and pretend that they can get away with hot air and rhetoric. We need action. I spoke to, um, to two authors of a book that they've written, uh, South Africa's Scenarios, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, um, on, on Tuesday, Pums. Um, Ray. Ray Hartley. Ray Hartley and Greg Mills. And I said to them, because they were talking about what people might vote for and all the rest of it, I think it's going to be about action. I think people want to see stuff happen. And that's why we had Gaten on last week. That's why we've got you on this week, Neil. Not that I'm comparing you, um, but I think people are also sick to death of hearing promises. They want to see some action. Gareth, may I say one thing before you feasibly yeah. listen? <laughs> Go ahead. One of the most important can I call it, segment mm. of this country is yourself and Pumi, the media, be it social media or media. Yeah. You are the catalyst that can absolutely give everybody some airtime to view us. And may I thank you for being one of the few people that give the smaller entities just as much voice as the rest, because it is the small ones at the end of the day that also have a say in this democracy. And, and you've never stood back, both of you and your people. So thank you. I want to say thank you from me. I, I will see you again. I would love to invite you to Tainais when I move in because we will build a bigger bride. So thank you very much. Namaste. By the way, I love Vietnam, but not Vietnam. I love Vietnam. One to two percent is is 
really is a lot. One to two percent is a lot, and you definitely can shift something with, with that kind of power and voice. Good luck to you, Neil. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. God bless you all, and listen, have a great, great day. Thank you very much. Well, Pums, uh, it's a lot of responsibility on all of us. Uh, we've got to make sure that people uh, are registered, vote, and vote smartly. You, it's no good to just go in there and throw your dart at the dartboard and hope that something you know, good is at the end of it. Although today, definitely the thing that's going to be stuck in my head is a hooner with water. It's a whole spate. That's a lot. <laughs> Very well, <laughs> we are we are going to. I'll just say to to anybody who joined us this morning and was um, was excited to hear from Neil and people who are excited to hear from all the other leaders. We are going to try and get every one of the leaders of the parties on. That includes the ANC, the EFF, and the DA, the three biggest parties in the country. We will do our best to bring you all three of those. They're they're the most difficult to get hold of, mm. um, as Neil said earlier. The smaller parties are happy when they get some some airtime to explain themselves, but we're going to try and bring everybody. Mm. So watch the space in the next couple of weeks. All right. Thank you. Fabulous. See you next week, baby. Thanks, Pums. <laughs> we'll see you on next week, but we'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye.